Hello, all you Lasso fans, and welcome to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my wonderful and lovely co-host, Mr. Jeremy Geckner. How are you, sir? What it is, Lasso fans. We may never have Paris, but we definitely all have each other because we're here on Peanut Butter and Biscuits once again. Oh, episode eight, Craig. (laughs) This is, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to put it up there right here. This is going to be a pretty emotional episode for me to get through. So just in advance of that, I want to let you know that. But we have a lot of reviews to get through in housekeeping before we decide to dive in. You know that we like to acknowledge if you take the moment to go out there and review us on Apple, we want to make sure that you uh, get your voice heard. And we are so grateful for people that do that. So let's dive into those really quickly because then we've got a heck of a roller coaster of an episode (laughs) to get into, buddy. But uh, do you want to take the first review or you want me to? I mean, I'll take the first one since it's like, you know, the shortest one. Uh, (laughs) So thanks for giving me the option there. Um, Yeah, Steven. G7 wrote a five-star review says fun and great companion pod. And then just simply barbecue sauce, thumbs up. So we always appreciate that barbecue sauce, everyone. Absolutely. And then Kells in KY. So down in Kentucky, I'm guessing a great companion pod for a great show. As someone with way too much hyper-focus, I can't just enjoy a show. I have to go and read everything and listen to (laughs) podcasts as well. Uh, The opening theme of this podcast never fails to lift my spirits. Barbecue sauce mentioned again. And the hosts are warm, funny, insightful. Just wanted to share some positivity and say thanks. And we love sharing a little bit of positivity with you. And we also would like to say thank you to you for leaving that review this is a big one the next one you get is a pretty big deal yeah this one's from marcus hayes r um and it says lions fan here and he starts it off how does it finally feel to be the worst team in the nfc north lol you know what it's not an lol mark because uh we definitely are i think the worst team in the nfc north now but we'll see that's why you play the games everyone Uh, on another note great podcast i look forward to it as much as the actual show oh come on now give me a break mark there's no way that's true um but we definitely appreciate it keep it up uh we will definitely keep it up thank you so much for those kind words mark we did finally find that lions fan so i'm really excited about that yay Next one, we've got Marty Moo, which says the joy of Ted Lasso goes further. Jeremy and Craig are enthusiastic about this show as I am. Mm -hmm. I love how they share deep considerations about the show, points and nuances in their back and forth. Gems they uncover shine through and hit my heart. I love being able to relive another episode with their blow-by-blow recaps. Their convo extends the Ted Lasso joy for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for writing that in. This is very heartwarming on an episode like this uh, that we're going to review. And also so, uh, a little intimidating, guys, but we love it even all the same here. Another one from uh, 273 and 48 colon 9. Not even going to get into it. It's probably some kind of government black site. But they say, uh, love this podcast. I eagerly await each drop immediately following a new episode. That is what we love to give you. Thank you very much there, whoever and wherever you're writing from, probably somewhere in the desert of New Mexico. This is one that I actually called out on our Facebook page a little bit earlier, which, by the way, I I feel like I was attacked personally by Barbara in this episode (laughs) about our Facebook page, but we'll get into that later. Uh But this one is from Cassie Rose 07. It says the Ted Lasso of podcast. Not only is this podcast about Ted Lasso, but it's also what I'd like to call the Ted Lasso of podcast, because when I am in a horrible mood or losing perspective of what matters, I turn this on and immediately am reminded of good and hopeful things in life. Great work, guys. Holy moly, Jeremy. What is that review? (laughs) Again, I'm I'm over over into 
intimidated here, guys. You are overwhelming us with love here. Uh, two more here. Mitzi V. Uh, this is a long one, so I might paraphrase, but it says, uh, after 100% of my friends who I consider to have excellent taste in media convinced me to watch Ted Lasso, a common story. And when someone in my family finally got a free Apple TV Plus trial, <laughs> yes, also very, very common. She, uh, they started watching the show. Um, they loved it. Would be weird if I hated it and then started listening to this podcast. Very true. I don't know. Uh, but she made the mistake of been watching the binge watching the first two seasons and then realized in real time that it's only weekly episodes. So apart from rewatching, she realized that she needed something to tide her over until the next episode is released. Uh, and she says basically that she found us that it's just pure fun and joy and just the type of banter and water cooler analysis I wanted to listen to. I can hear my same excitement and giddiness watching the show and Jeremy and Craig's voices. I listen to this podcast on the drive to and from work. Since I only live 15 minutes from the office, I get to extend the whole feeling for a few days. It truly has made my ride in one of the worst cities to drive in thoroughly enjoyable. Thanks for brightening up my day. I look forward to my commute because of this podcast. Well, I mean, again, thank you very, very much. We are we are very appreciative of your appreciation. You got one more for us here, Craig. I know. Congratulations on saying you're going to paraphrase that and then not paraphrasing it at all. I paraphrase some well of done. it. There's some sentences in the middle I didn't do verbatim. Well, if in case you were wondering where Jamal is at, Jamal is at the store. He's at the right, store, says, guys. The Lucky Tree. And he says, stumbling <laughs> on this podcast is like I fell out of the Lucky Tree, hit every branch on the way down, and ended up in a pool of cash and Sour Patch Kids. Excellently. Well done, Jamal. About each episode are creative and incredible. I often find myself re-watching episodes of Ted Lasso. I'm listening to spot the details and the connection that I missed. The only sour spot is that the hosts are Packers fans, <laughs> but I'm hoping that changes with Aaron Rodgers' trade. Go Bears and and go AFC Richmond. Okay, oh, a, we got a Chicago thing. win out there. Jamal, this look, this is not how sports works, my man. You, you root for your team regardless of who's on it. <laughs> you keep going there. We're not going to switch teams. But, hey, you know what? It might be the Bears' time. Trade me in, everyone. Go, go for it, you Bear fans. <laughs> Just a quick note of gratitude here. I put it at the very end of the bonus episode. I hope you had a chance to listen to that where Angie and Tori broke down the female perspective of Ted Lasso with me. I think it was great. And we talked a lot. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. I'm getting a lot of, oh my God, we don't want Ted Becca talk. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think that it's hitting well, but I do want to just say that our downloads have been exploding these last couple of weeks. We've now landed in the top five at points in Ooh. the Apple after shows podcast. And guys, uh, for people, People that have been doing this for eight years and uh, just we've we've never had that. I mean, just going to be completely honest with you. And it means so much to us, this community and uh, all of you that are involved in it. So just thank you from the bottom of our heart. But this is an emotional episode, so I yeah. don't want to get teary right now. We'll do that a little bit later, likely. But are you ready to break this down, Jeremy? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. Here it comes. Ted Lasso, episode eight. We'll never have Paris. So, Jeremy, right away, you are correct on your assumption Finally. that Jamie Tart <laughs> is going to be leading the way because we do hear that Tart really is going on a tear. We get a little bit of sound from Arlo White that he's going to get a great pass over to Rojas, and they're going to end up winning a match. And then we actually go on a streak of four different wins. We get to see shots of Rebecca and Keely and Higgins watching the game in the owner's box. We get to see May being really happy because the crown and anchor <laughs> is very full. And then we get to see a shot of Rupert being super pissed, which makes us all happy. <laughs> and then we also get to see a clip of Soccer Saturday where they're talking about AFC 
to see Richmond going on this four game streak. And of course, George has to say that it's all just luck, right, Jeremy? Well, of course. I mean, everything that goes up must come down here. But you do have to also call out here. They're beaten. Uh, I, I, I tried to find all of them. So we, they beat Aston Villa first. Then I'm. I can't quite hear what Arlo White's saying, but I think he's saying they beat Southampton next. Um, and then, of course, it breaks my heart here. They beat my Tottenham Hotspur, man. Like, that's not cool. <laughs> they beat my team. But then again, in real life, everyone, go and watch Tottenham's last game because they pulled a real life Ted Lasso season one, episode 10 um, in their last game uh, against Liverpool. And it was terrible. Um, I know so- who else is also going to be mad about that because uh- – Tottenham was something that was called out by Mark Shapiro in our predictions episode that Tottenham was going to have a good showing against AFC Richmond sometime this season. And maybe it's looking like that might not be the case. I guess they still have some matches left to play. Definitely not here. But then their last one was, of course, an away game against Everton, who they beat in season one, uh, finally, for the first time in a while. Um, So... You know, two really top of the t- top table teams there in uh, Tottenham and Aston Villa. Both of them are currently six and seven in the real Premier League standing. So this is working, man. Total football is working. We get this uh, at the end of Soccer Saturday, this line that every no one should be happier than Ted Lasso. And of course, we pan over then Oof. to a melancholy Ted Lasso who is with Michelle and Dr. Jacob, who really wants Ted to call him Jake. But I think for purposes of this podcast, I'm going to continue to call him Dr. Jacob throughout this episode because I am on team Ted when it comes to this relationship. (laughs) But of course, those two are visiting uh, because they're going to be going on this sort of romantic getaway, uh, which there is a surprise location. It was going to be the English countryside. But Michelle mentions to Ted later on in the scene that Dr. Jacob is, in fact, taking her to Paris as well. So uh, Ted says that it's nice to re-meet Dr. Jacob. He also is told to call him Jake by Dr. Jacob at that point. Michelle and Ted go back and forth with some of these really cute analogies. You Mm -hmm. can kind of see almost that this might have been part of how their relationship was structured in the past before we got to really know them. And then uh, Jake just seems kind of out of the loop when they're talking about those analogies back and forth. Henry comes up and wants some more money for the Oz pinball machine. There's no place like home, right? Right. Nothing is an accident (laughs) in this show. But uh, Ted reaches into his pocket and what falls out? But a green matchbook. A green matchbook. The Ted Becca people riot. They all start rioting. So many screams and so many cheers potentially right there. May then tells uh, them that it can actually be played without coins because Dr. Jacob also didn't have money. And this is where Michelle tells them that they're going to Paris. We After that, we get some opening credits. So talk to me and break down this little bit before we get into the opening. Yeah, very, very uh, indicative here of there's still a lot of chemistry between Ted and Michelle. And I'm not going to lie to you, Craig. This episode might have done more for me than any other one to make me think that the theory of them ending up together again might actually happen. Um, of course, other things that happen in this episode, but... The chemistry is just so evident between them, especially when they're going through those analogies about a priest wearing shorts, which, again, yes, might be the most awkward thing in the world. Um, But it's also I do love here that May seems to be in a little bit on this, too, with the line that she says to Ted. I put it as one of my Tedisms and stuff in this scene as well. But, yeah, there's just some there's just something not quite clicking here with Jake, uh, Dr. Jacob in the scene either. Like there's just something not working in all of this. Um, And I do love that once again, though, as she tells in Paris he just can't process it so he goes on one of his typical like you know folksy Ted like runs of thoughts about all the Paris's that there are in the 
United States. Um, and we learn now, of course, that there are three, uh, we think, in Ohio alone. Um, but that seems like it would be confusing for mail mailboxes and stuff uh, for, for the Postal Service. Um, but there's, you know, I, I think that most of this, though, you're right to call it the Oz machine, too, because once again, a story about a... Kansasan um, who was whisked off to a strange world to try to appreciate the things that they left behind. So I don't know. Maybe the analogy is very, very apt. One of the first lines we hear from Ted when he lands in London is that he can actually say to Beard that they're not in Kansas anymore mm-hmm. as well. So a callback all the way to the pilot episode for sure. Yeah. And I just think this is interesting because Dr. Jacob throughout the entire episode is trying really hard to connect with Henry and a little bit to connect with Michelle. Uh-huh. And we don't really see him be able to succeed at that. I will say that, yes, you are correct that I think this episode is in a way trying to set up that maybe Michelle and Ted could get back together. I hope that that's a head fake, much in the way that uh, Ted playing on the phone when the banter stuff was going on was a bit of a head fake because I just don't, you know, people are like anti-Ted Becca. I really think that we aren't in a position where Michelle and Ted make a whole lot of sense. And, and maybe that's just because of Uh, again current life circumstances whatever the case may be but it's just not something that i'm necessarily clamoring for um and and if if they are going to get back together we're kind of missing some context aren't we because we get we can infer from things that we've seen in past seasons that one of the reasons why michelle didn't want to be with him anymore is because of his brush everything away everything's going to be all right positive attitude and that you know that couldn't just be sustained and everything so maybe you could say like the catalyst is ted standing up to her on the phone about dating Dr. Jacob and how that's not cool. Um, You know, you could say maybe that's the catalyst for her seeing that there's a change in him. So therefore, maybe they can change as a couple as well. But again, we're kind of missing some of that base context, I think, to make that a truly satisfying ending. I still think based on everything else that happens in this episode, the love story, as Sarah told us a few weeks ago, is Ted and Henry. And that's the one that we're really, really getting deeper here as well. Um, but yeah, Dr. J- Jacob, just just go away, man. <laughs> I think we'd be remiss and people would yell at us if we didn't comment on the matchbook itself. So we don't see Ted as a smoker at any point in this. And same with Rebecca, really. I mean, clearly but- it's still in his pocket from the restaurant. Like Sam yeah, obviously so gave Sam it to everyone. Sam must just handed them out to everybody, right? Yeah, so. But that's but- weeks ago, man. Yeah, like that's if you think about it, like he would have to not clean out his pockets or wash his pants in a long time. <laughs> that's very true. I don't look the, the, go listen to their soulmates. I'm sure she is going to do an incredible breakdown of what Ted having this matchbook means. Um, and it's going to be well worth the listen. And I don't know. I mean, like the way like Rebecca and he talk later in the episode as well. It certainly leads you to think that I don't know. There's some signs popping up here. Certainly they're they're presenting us with two possible paths here in Michelle and in Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that. And of course, there's always the third path that he just goes home to be with Henry and that uh, he's not with anybody. But we've only got, what, four more episodes four more left episodes. after this. We've got nine, 10, 11 and 12. So, you know, you're you're at a point where like there can't really be a lot of additional 
people added into the mix. We've already yep. kind of eliminated Sassy as an option earlier this season. So we will see where it goes, but there's a lot of Ted Becca talk that will continue to happen all over the internet this week, I'm sure. But the next thing that we see is that Jack and Keely are in bed. Jack invites Keely to a polo match with her dad and her uncle, who uncle is really Bernie. a family friend. <laughs> and then Keely is starting to get a lot of notifications while they're laying in bed. It seems like a video of hers has been hacked. I'm going to go back to that in just a second before mm -hmm. we talk. But in the middle of this scene, we do get Nate waking up next to Jade in a very sweet way. And uh, Nate kind of awkwardly is trying to ask, what should they call them <laughs> at this point? Now, remember, a few weeks have passed since that first day. So at least four weeks because uh, Richmond has gone on a streak of four wins. And we know that typically, no, I guess Premier League, though, they Premier do League play sometimes more than play midweek. Yeah. So, I mean, at the very least, I'd say two weeks, most likely okay. two, two to three. OK. And uh, so then he says something like, uh, should we just say cool and casual? They think not necessarily wanting that. And Jay just automatically agrees with him there. I did want to call out the actress's name because I don't think we've said her name yet, but it's Etya Butnik, I believe is how you would pronounce that. Uh, and she just does a wonderful job as Jade. We've talked about her facial expressions and everything that she's bringing to that character. And if I uh, mispronounced her name, I apologize well in advance. Um, and By then all means, come do... on the show and tell us how to pronounce it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Then we do go back to uh, Keely and Jack. There's been a massive leak of a lot of different celebrities. Keely is beginning to spiral because her friends, family, team, and the office will see this video. And then Jack says it'll be fine that she's going to take care of it. So let's stop there before we get back to Richmond and to the, the dog track and the training facility. Um, let's talk a bit about this scene, Jeremy. Yeah, so first on the Jack and Keeley front here, this whole episode is basically a deconstruction of all the good feelings that we've been feeling about these two um, over the past previous weeks. And what I really have to call out is not only just the writing, but also the acting uh, in this, because it is a very slow roll. Each and every scene from here on out, Jack gets a little bit less knight in shining armor, so to speak. And she, like the tarnishing just happens just a little bit at a time. Every scene, every scene, every scene, little subtle things like, you know, at the golf course, just pulling away from her a little bit or, you know, uh, the statement set and everything. But there's like a little pause before like Keely calls her out on it. Like every single thing is this. But I do love that we start at this baseline that Jack is once again being the good person that we see her to be already, which is. You know, this is going to be all right. I'm going to help you take care of this and everything, which is what you want in that situation going through a crisis. Um, and Keely will get to, you know, a lot more in depth of her there. But I do love that Jade continues to just not tolerate Nate's like anxiety stuff. <laughs> like she's just like very much every time he's like trying to be very awkwardly asking things, she just stone face looks at him and just like, yeah, OK. And I think it's good because she understands how to deal with Nate. You know, she understands that he's got all these insecurities and he doesn't know exactly what to do sometimes. But then sometimes all you got to do is just let him sit with it and, you know, just not push it away, not do anything with it and just let him figure it out. But I do love how not inhibited, like, like no inhibitions that she has. Like, you know, he's talking about going over to the flat uh, across the way to go to the bathroom. And she's just like, all right, and just goes herself. So it is just this kind of great contrast where and again, She's pulling him out of his out of his stupor, so to speak. And I think she's getting him to see the true worth in himself that Ted already started. 
we get such a great scene at the end of this where she's talking about celebrating his victories, but mm. we'll get to there a little bit later. So now we go back to uh, the locker room and I love that Will is getting Henry <laughs> to do all these kit man calisthenics. They're just like these little obstacles. Great Tedisms abound in this scene. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely revisit a lot of this scene as well. But Ted is then in the coach's office and he starts to ask the guys where they would propose. They all answer Paris, except for Beard, who gives a very specific <laughs> answer. Um, and a good one though so yeah wonderful answer and then he also says that his second option would be paris um ted thinks that dr jacob is going to propose to michelle because they're in paris and then roy asks if he wants to talk about it and then in the largest letters i possibly could on my notes i say trent is a diamond dog yes he is trent crim diamond dog not the independent anymore Trent Krim, Trent Krim comma, Diamond Dog. Diamond dog for Excellent. Sure. <laughs> There's I love, your new shirt uh, idea, Patrick. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love Leslie running into the room for the Diamond Dogs. It's fantastic. Jeremy Swift does an amazing job of running through the locker room. And then um, then it's funny because Leslie also asks if Dr. Jacob had asked Ted's permission. <laughs> and Ted gives this great line about being her ex-husband and not her current her father. Her current so, father. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and man. then it says that uh, he knows he's going to propose because he's taken her to Paris. And then all of them to a person mm-hmm. give Ted grief because they say that he doesn't really know that people can go to Paris for all sorts of reasons, kind of foreshadowing a conversation he's going to have with Rebecca <laughs> a little bit later on as well. But Jeremy, talk to me. This is one of the only times we've seen the Diamond Dogs this uh, this entire season. Yeah, and of course, we're going to see the uh, Aldi brand version of that later. <laughs> this the Love Hounds? I was trying to get what Nick was saying there. I'm pretty was, sure it's it the Love, love Hounds. Hounds? Um, and it's, okay. oh, it's excruciating. <laughs> but I'll tell you this much. It is always good to see that and again it's just more of this ingratiating of Trent Krim into the fabric of this team which just more of it more of it more of it I've been telling you since season one I love James Lance so much and I love how much screen time he's getting in here and like not terribly uh you know not completely inconsequentially he's the one who comes up with the kind of mic drop moment here of just telling Ted like you know this hasn't happened yet. Like, what are you doing here? You don't have to do this to yourself when this is, you know, not happening yet. You got to kind of chill a bit and everybody kind of takes their cues from that. So yeah, full ingratiation into the diamond dogs. He solved the problem, so to speak. Yes. And I love that the dynamic of everybody. So Roy is back in his office, but he's still (laughs) participating fully. He just doesn't want to admit that he's a diamond dog. And then you've got Trent, who's just trying to like ease himself into this conversation. And he's like, am I just allowed to speak? And then they start, you know, like, uh, and then he tries to add a a bark at the end of this. It was very cute. So it was just great to see the diamond dogs come back together. But of course you mentioned it. We then go to the West Ham training facility and Nate's trying to form his own diamond dogs, which he calls the love hounds. Ugh. I uh, feel so bad for him that Rupert isn't coming. And then he calls her his assistant and she says he's not busy, but he's still not coming. So, rude. so his, his version of the diamond dogs is going to be coach uh, disco. And then also Roger, who must be sort of the Leslie I'm Higgins. I'm guessing the sort of operations what I was... manager, maybe something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, he asked them for help with Jade and what he should do. Disco comments that he's been <laughs> divorced three times and that he never tells them how he feels because then it gets more expensive. Mm -hmm. And then Roger says he read a book that if you like a woman, you should insult her. So <laughs> then this is a very short-lived uh, meeting of the Love Hounds. And Nate says they may never meet again. But clearly, uh, Nate is pining for what he had at AFC Richmond. And we've sort of commented on that throughout the season that it seems like he's really missing ted or at least the lasso way in some way shape or form yeah it just seems like everything in his life is hollow you know like even yeah you know jade is the one thing that's kind of making him feel good about his life but even that is kind of like something that happens away from the team every single thing that happens at west ham is just this anathema of what he used to have and he thinks this is what he wants you know his whole credo in all of season two was you know i want to be the boss you know don't you guys ever want to be the boss the one who makes the decisions gets all the glory well with that comes kind of this when you isolate yourself and you push away everybody that means something to you you don't have that support when something really big happens to you like getting a girlfriend for maybe the first time in your life um i don't know we don't know you know nate's backstory that much but not hard to see based on how he was in season one maybe this might be the first serious relationship he's ever had with a with a significant other um and so along those lines you know him trying to do this and trying to inflex this i take two things from it one that ted's still inside you know his head in terms of like now he wants to instinctively try to bring some of ted's coaching style into west ham even if it's just with this small group of people um but he just can't quite make it work disco is absolutely hilarious here justice for that man he's really funny in this uh in the scene here but again you know how does this how does nate's story with west ham so to speak this season end when he's clearly reflexively pushing back against the atmosphere, but he can't still quite stand up to Rupert and can't quite stand up to the culture. Um, so I don't know. It's a very fascinating scene, but we're getting our boy Nate back slowly but surely. But now he's got Jade in his corner, who's really pushing him to do some pretty great things towards mm -hmm. the end of this uh, and really believing in himself, right? Almost yeah. like Ted would have you believe in yourself. I will say that you constantly steal Tedisms and put them in the recap. So I will say this is absolutely a Tedism. I had it in my Tedisms, <laughs> but I think it's really important to mention that when uh, Trent is asking what the Diamond Dogs are, Beard says to him, the Diamond Dogs are a group of men committing to supporting each other by sharing their most intimate thoughts, feelings, and experiences are you in or out is what he says to Trent. And of course, then Trent says that he's in, but that's exactly what you're saying that Nate's looking for that he doesn't have at West Ham. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that ability just to like kind of have that group of people that he wants to make sure um, that he's able to share those experiences or get some advice uh, yeah. on what's going well, on in well, his life. Think, so. think about it this way as well. Like what is Roger's first line in this scene? Am I in trouble? And then once yeah. Disco comes in there and they're both sitting, he says, are we both in trouble? And then as he's leaving, he says, are we in trouble now? Like there's just this culture of fear around this team. And especially I'm sure that's what Nate and Rupert have made since the beginning. And now that Nate's trying to change it, there's kind of this structure in place that you can't quite bust through. And so that's what's making him all melancholy. Yeah, absolutely. So then we get a scene with Ted and Rebecca where Ted gives her the biscuits, biscuits. with the boss. Yes, we haven't had those for a few episodes, if I remember correctly. I guess we did see them on her desk a couple of times in this season. Zava definitely um, ate them, so bad on I you, I do want to mention... 
this isn't in the recap, but I want to to mention here, this is another time where we see Ted not interacting with Henry. And mm. I'm going to talk a lot about that in the Hey Jude scene, I think, as well. Um, so Henry is with the team while they train, while Ted is up talking to Rebecca. Ted wants Rebecca to hire a private investigator. Of course, we know that she knows how to do that because that's how she was going to try mm. to sabotage Ted at the very beginning by getting pictures with Keely and him. Um, Rebecca says that you could go to Paris for lots of reasons. She even <laughs> lists some of them out. And I couldn't list Ted... all these, but they were hilarious. <laughs> this yeah, is absolutely. great back and forth. And then Ted asks where her and Rupert, Rupert got engaged. Ooh, uh, she wouldn't answer that. <laughs> um, Ted then says that he just needs to know what's going on with Michelle and Dr. Jacob. And then Rebecca does agree to help. And then Ted, in what is like one of the saddest moments for me of the season, gives the tree just the slightest high five oh, on the way out the door man. and it's it's so sad i want to get through the keely stuff uh with barbara before we go into the locker room which i think is a huge pivotal yeah. scene yeah, yeah. maybe not for the episode but for the series as a whole and so um keely's given a statement to read by barbara it's very legalese and basically assigns all of the blame directly onto keely for the leak and uh, Jack wants her to post it on all of her social medias, except for maybe Facebook, but that might be a Tedism <laughs> later. And Keely then has tears in her eyes as she leaves the office. So let's talk about those two scenes, the private investigator scene and also the Keely scene before we get back into the locker room and have a great scene amongst the entire team. Yeah, this is this is fun stuff. I'll, I'll start with uh, Barbara here and Keely, just because, again, little bit of cracks. The cracking is starting to happen here. Jack like sends her this really legally statement that is, oh man, I shouldn't have done this. It's basically a shame statement. And yeah, in certain ways we've seen in the world that these sort of do work and like deflecting the blame off. But what do they do to the person themselves? I will admit, I've never thought about that kind of a thing. You know, what does it mean to the person making the statement? Um, and of course we get better with that later. Um, but my question there was like, what is Barbara's feelings here? You know, like, do you think that she's starting to like feel things a little deeper for Keely like she's really starting to like her and that she kind of knows what this statement means when it's coming from Jack especially with the two of them in a relationship Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we see that a little bit in a previous episode where she starts to talk about like going to the in the tube on her pajamas so she can get into the office. Like we didn't see that type of personal contact between the two of them. And it's because she's starting to respect Keely more as well, because Keely's business is doing well. I mean, that that scene that I just referenced, it starts off by saying Barbara comes in and says that they have a problem. And then she goes, oh, maybe actually I'm, I'm we don't have a problem. I'm just used to saying that. Yeah. And so I do think that she's starting to really feel for Keely. And I mean, you would, I would think that you would feel for someone that is put in this position. You know, I read a book a while ago, uh, and actually it's one that I am teaching a first year seminar this upcoming ah. year, and I'm going to be assigning it to the students because I think it's, even though it's a slightly out of date, it's really pretty good look at social media and sort of that impact in society. And it's called, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's mm. by John Ronson. And uh, it is really... Uh, just a, a very interesting take at not necessarily people that have been canceled. I guess in a way you could say that, but it's more people that have made mistakes in their public life or have done some missteps and how that follows you and how the internet is really a permanent place and sort of following up with these people later and the people that had to issue these types of statements. And I, I hate this statement for so many reasons. Mm. It is not Keeley's fault 
that this was leaked. And she says that later to Jack. In fact, that is going to be our major fight towards the end of this episode. But this statement is trying to assess all this blame on Keeley for something that she sent to a partner. We later find out who is Jamie. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I, I hated the statement through and through. Mm. And I hate that Jack tried to defend this statement by saying, Oh, it was just a legal thing. And I know I'm jumping around here, but but like, I just think that it's victim blaming to the Mm -hmm. utmost extent in this particular instance. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin wrote once in in an episode of the newsroom and I'm going to get a little tangential here, but I'll try to make it fast. Um, Basically that the world is divided into two people, those who like sex and those who are thoroughly creeped out by sex. And (laughs) unfortunately too many people have power that are in the second group Um, and that there's probably more people in the first. And that really is kind of like what it comes down to when these kinds of things happen out. Like people get over it people are sexual they really are and this kind of stuff is there but that goes really good into the conversation that the locker room has um about this because it really is kind of like a live rendering of all the thoughts and arguments that people could have over something like this um and everything and i'll talk more about ted and rebecca's stuff later it was great you got most of it i the oscar wilde stuff cracked me up but let's get to the locker room so the locker room, I kind of wrote this all out. So bear with me here. Yeah. It's it. So they find out about the, the leak. Sam says that the press has dubbed it the great awakening. Ugh. And then Colin tries to overcompensate by saying that's what he's going to look at this weekend. Yep, noted that Isaac myself. says that, yep. Isaac says that you shouldn't do that and shouldn't look at it. Um, and then others say that uh, they just shouldn't have taken them at all. And so really it's their fault that they're out there. Jamie says that it's the dickheads that put them online that are to blame and that he deletes all of his photos and videos because he doesn't want leaks like this to happen. Of course, we find out later that uh, this looks like it might have come from him. Mm-hmm. And then Sam also has to agree with Jamie in this instance. He actually lets girls delete the photos and videos off of their his phone after their relationship ends. Colin uh, then asks if you take a photo, isn't that something that you own at that point or Mm -hmm. someone sends you a photo? And then Jan Moss mentions that copyright law is a bit murky there. Danny says it's about what's doing what's right. And he makes a killer. A great is musical theater forever, everyone. (laughs) Absolutely. Colin asks if he should delete all of his memories then. So really, Colin is becoming the person that's sort of defending the fact that these photos were at least still on some machine that could then be hacked. Mm hmm. There's uh, awkward questions about different photos that exist out there. Oh, man. But Sam uh, says that Keely was one of the women. And then Roy starts to look really distraught. Isaac, and actually Roy ends up leaving the the room. Isaac says it's time to pull out uh, their phones and delete all the photos and videos because uh, they are all footballers, pro footballers, and they could be subject to some kind of hack like this. Mm-hmm. And then Jamie is, uh, I, I put this in there. Jamie, this is like not, this is a physical thing. It's not something that's spoken, but Jamie looks over at Will's phone while he's deleting the photos and he looks really surprised yeah. by the photos that Will has. <laughs> I love that. Colin gets caught by Isaac at this point outside of the locker room. And this, we were wondering how his team might find out or who might uh, quote unquote out him. And it looks like at least Isaac McAdoo now knows. It's interesting because Isaac gives this facial expression that almost seems negative, but then he gives a slight nod to Colin Mm. and then he walks away almost like he's still just processing the information. So I know that that's only one scene and we've got a lot to get through here, buddy, but I feel like this is more of a, this is more of a comment on society at large 
this is the type of scene you put into a show because you want people to have these discussions and to think about this type of a topic. So what yeah. was your thought on the locker room? Yeah, again, just amazing writing. Um, really, really good in terms of like how they structure all of these things because the conversation flows very naturally from one argument to the next to the next. And it ultimately ends up with, you know, obviously it is Jamie's, you know, stance is the right one. No, it's on these people, you know, like this kind of stuff shouldn't happen. And, you know, I don't know, like, you know, you can't really regulate the internet nowadays anyway. Um, so, you know, how do you stop this kind of stuff from happening? That's why it is a complex question, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, you know, it is the fault of the people who steal it and put it online, but there's no mechanism to just like erase these things from the internet. You know, there's no way to do that. So, is it smart to delete these things or to not have them as well? Um, it's a complex question. It definitely is not the fault of anybody who does this kind of stuff. These are private things. These are meant for privacy, and that's how they should stay. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I, I do love, though, that in this scene, the tone in the room really shifts when Sam says that Keeley was one of the ones hacked. And, and what I love about this is that you would think – a typical thing in the past of a locker room, it would be like a, ooh, you know, like, oh, we know that mm -hmm. person, we got to do this. They literally all, it becomes very real to them all of a sudden. Like, all of a sudden, even, this conversation. Even Van Damme, who has, um, you know, this season, they've been kind of using his character to be the more of the macho man yeah. uh, in these types of situations. And he certainly is on the side of, you know, you can look at these photos, yeah. but he doesn't go the typical trope of like hooting and hollering that these, you know, celebrities have had these leaks of nude photos online. The yeah. only person that's really doing that, and we know exactly why he's doing that, is Colin. It's Colin. Right. And yep. he's trying to overcompensate there. Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic in that. Um, and it's going to be crashed down here at the end of the scene. But it, it very much is. It's just like this is a. This is like an exercise in like philosophical thoughts for these guys until someone they know is caught up in it. And then I love again, Isaac immediately says, OK, well, we're done with this. Like we're not only just done with this conversation, but we're protecting ourselves now, too, because someone we know and care about just did that. And I love that because Keely, you remember her last worry in the first scene with Jack was the team is going to see it, um, you know, and. The fact that like when they learn about this, they don't want to look up the pictures. They don't want to like go and find it. They want to be like, okay, we need to do something here about this. Um, and that's just a really good thing. And you're right. I got to really call out Cola uh, in this scene with Colin at the end because the really reason he grabs the phone is because for the first time, Colin is not being who he normally is. He tells, you know, he tells Isaac to fuck off basically um, in this part. Sorry. Apologize for the language, everyone. Um, but he tells him to do that. And that's what leads Isaac to just be like, dude, come on, what are you doing here? And you're right. I think the the facial expression the reaction it's complex but i think the overall tone is accepting or at least like all right i get what i get it type thing and i think probably for isaac a lot of different things are starting to like make sense to him you know like now he's you know noticing maybe in his mind some of the things that colin's been saying and maybe he's also processing like well if this is who you are why are you saying these things blah 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 and starting to get it so i'm going to be very fascinated with how this manifests my 
idea here would be that Isaac wouldn't tell anyone else, you know, that this is going to be something that he's going to let Colin have to deal with or, or deal with himself however he wants. But I think it is great that we finally kind of cross that barrier. And now it's out there. Somebody on the team besides Trent does know about Colin. And now we can move that story forward in an organic way. And I guess it makes sense that uh, it's revealed to Isaac. I think that there had been some predictions online that maybe that that would be the person that would learn because Isaac, of course, being the team captain, I do wonder what the reaction is going to be. I mean, clearly, I think that that is something that's going to be addressed in the next episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to see uh, the way that the writers go with that. I I certainly hope that they don't make Isaac McAdoo someone that is uh, upset about it, uh, but I guess that that is a way they could go. Uh, you see, like, in his facial expression, the slight nod, almost like an acknowledgement saying, okay, I sort of knew this, but there wasn't any follow-up to that. And I, I almost read it more as he needed time to process before he said something to Colin yeah. than maybe the negative, but we'll see what happens there's, there. There's I a do... lot of different ways you can take the nod, you can take the facial expression. My gut is that none of them are negative, but there's a diff, there's like dozens of different ways you can take what he's doing there, and that's the sign of a really good acting performance. There is a, okay, so this podcast needs me to do no promotion for them because they're probably uh, one of the most popular in the world. But Armchair Expert, I do like to listen to that show a lot. And I'll tell you that uh, this week is actually a, a pretty good interview to go along with this discussion because they're talking to Paris Hilton. And mm. Paris Hilton is someone that, you know, you and I grew up with. And yeah. <laughs> uh, when she was getting, you know, money to party and to just show up at things, I think that there was a, a sense of animosity towards her. There mm -hmm. was either people that really loved her or really hated her. And then of course, when the sex tape came out, it was so scandalous. And I'll tell you that, you know, like listening to her perspective or her side in that interview of the time around that sex tape uh, is just really sad, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it, I think that we see celebrities sometimes as these people that are just Teflon and they can take anything, but we really forget the human side of things. Yeah. And so it's almost like, um, you know, Paris's book tour was scheduled. It's, it's almost like we got this Paris episode in the middle. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that that was all uh, coincidence, but something to go and check out. If you, I was reluctant, uh, I will say, because it's not like Paris Hilton is a celebrity that I typically follow, but a really good discussion with her as well. And it talks about a lot of these themes. So I would recommend that you go out and check that out if you've uh, got access to that podcast uh, sometime this week. So there you go. curious, not judgmental, everyone. Yes. Yeah, so let's continue to move on. Keely and Rebecca in Rebecca's office. Keely mentions that there was a teacher passing around a photo of her when she was 15. <laughs> yeah, oh my that's gosh. problematic. Man. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then she also says, I acknowledge that there's tons of topless photos of me out there, but I'm the one that chose to put them man, out there. How Again, important is that, that line, is, man? Ugh, how yeah, important oh my is gosh. that? Well, this whole this whole scene is just like talk about like ideas of empowerment and struggle for women and being sexualized there's a, a an amazing tedism that oh, yeah. Keely gives later that we'll talk about but oh my goodness um i i noted that uh, rebecca asked how she can help but it's in a more human way mm -hmm. than jack approached it so jack said don't worry i'll take care of it and rebecca said keely 
how can I help you? And then um, Rebecca says that she does not need to release that statement. In fact, Rebecca kind of hates that statement. Well, but I love too, mm-hmm. though, very importantly there, she calls out, it's like, Jack didn't write this. And like, she is right. Like, Jack did not. Now she's wrong about the motivation. But, you know, she clearly understands just like, nah, this is this is a lawyer. Like, this isn't a human response. <laughs> And in a way that only Ted Lasso can give us uh, a great story to end about uh, Rebecca bumping up against some couches Silver and really teaching the youth of America um, as well. So that was that was just so funny. And then uh, I'm just going to keep going here. We get a great little scene with Roy and Keeley where Roy says that he's sorry about it. But then completely derails all of it, Mr. Roy Kent, by asking Keeley who the video was for. So close. And so Keeley close. Gets so close. Keely gets angry and leaves, and then Roy can tell that he's messed up. And then we also get a small scene where Jack and Keely, Jack's checking in on Keely and asks about the statement. Jack says that and confirms what Rebecca said, that her lawyers wrote it. Keely asks uh, why she had Barbara give it to her. And then <laughs> Keely says that she can't release it. So let's talk about these uh, kind of three right in a row mm-hmm. Keely scenes before we get into some Ted and Henry stuff. Well, these are all meant to juxtapose, aren't they? These are like three reactions of, you know, someone who you would think would be the first and the most apt to want to do the right thing, Jack. And then you've got the person who is, you know, the true best friend who's sitting there doing everything correctly because Rebecca Welton is a goddess among among all of us mere mortals. And then you've got Roy, who, despite wanting to be supportive, also still Greg cannot get past his own insecurities. He cannot get past his insecurity here because he needs to know if this was for him or for someone else. He obviously knows it wasn't for him. So now he's like, okay, who was it for? His probably next question, if he had his druthers, would be, you know, when was it sent? Blah, 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 blah. You know, like he still is feeling this like just massive insecurity. And like, even though he wants to do the right thing, he wants to be there for her. He cannot get over that hurdle of his own mind, which is just staggering. Um, And again, This is really where when we get back to Jack that we see the covering of her ass, which is going to continue in the next couple of scenes, too. And again, the subtleties of how what she really thinks are really starting to bleed through little by little by little on this. Um, But yet she still does arrive at the right place by basically supporting Keely, not wanting to release this statement. But Rebecca is just perfect. She is literally just perfect. Telling even telling Keely to, you know, tell Jack what you feel and let her surprise you you know give her the chance to surprise you and i i had it listed as my tedism but i'm just gonna say it here because i want to how how amazingly heartwarming and important was it that as keely like just falls into rebecca's arms rebecca just so lovingly says to her i've got you and it's just like that that that, that killed me crushed me crushed me emotionally Mm. it's just these two are literally still perfect absolutely perfect they are, uh, you, you would hope that you have a friend like Rebecca Welton mm-hmm. in this uh, moment to just be able to grab you in their arms and just say, I've got you. It was mm-hmm. just such a beautiful moment. I had it in my Tedisms too, but Ugh. I will allow it. Uh, what, I just needed it to say just, it now. Yeah. <laughs> just incredible. So um, now we get a, another few the, scenes. The trio adventures. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So Ted is reading to Henry. Um, Henry mentioned something about having the most air miles of anyone in his school. 
great Ted line. asks about the kid that he had been bullying, and Henry actually says that they're going to start a band together, yeah. and that Henry wants to play the drums. And then Ted uh, mentions that Dave Grohl started to learn the drums by playing on pillows, something that might be referenced a little Remember bit later line, on. Remember this line, everyone. Well. <laughs> yeah, a little foreshadowing there. Ted asks uh, about Dr. Jacob or Jake, and if he's around at TV time or if he reads to him at night. Um, and then he mentions to him that uh, Dr. Jacob or Jake seems to make his mom happy, and mm-hmm. that's what's important. But then Henry falls asleep kind of mid-answer, and I thought it was telling that the writers gave Ted uh, a minute, a beat to say, come on, man, mm-hmm. as in don't ask your kid about yeah. your new uh, your ex-wife's new romantic partner. It's just not fair. And yeah. so I think that that was Ted sort of being disappointed in himself as well yeah yeah we There's, do get a you know go ahead oh no I, I the only thing i want to call out here he's actually reading a book the breakfast club adventures by professional footballer marcus rashford um who is one of the better young players uh english young players and i believe one of the ones who was like kind of dealing with the stuff after the 2020 uefa championships when england lost to italy i think he was one of those players correct me if i'm wrong anybody out there yeah. um but i just uh, I, i'm told that his books are absolutely fantastic and he's one of the best philanthropist activist football players in the world so just wanted to call that out there but yeah that's good scene call is out so i can't good. wait for the coach beard's book club episode there you all go. about it yes i want to hear the breakfast club adventures on there absolutely nate uh then wakes up without jade but they text back and forth they are going to get breakfast together and then we get keely and jack getting breakfast uh jack tells keely that she canceled the polo match i think there's some subtext there that jack doesn't want to be seen with keely uh-huh. at the polo match yep. and then uh after the the leak is out there it just seems like jack really is thinking about herself in this instance much more than she's thinking about with Keely. But she does say that she'll go out and have fun with her, um, but does mention something about keeping on the hat. And I know that that was supposed to be sort of a a fun play on words or a a joke um, because she tells him, you know, she tells her to take everything else off. Mm -hmm. But I also, that hat was kind of covering Keely's face as well. And so I took it to be something like she still wants Keely to be a bit hidden. And we see that a little bit later on when they're playing mini golf, but Let's go ahead and jump into the scene we've been kind of waiting for for a while because we saw it in the teaser. We get Beard, Ted, and Henry trying to figure out what they want to do with their day. Beard mentions there's a Jack the Ripper immersive experience where you get chased six hours, six hours. Uh, and then he tries to, uh, you know, kind of belittle all the touristy trap things <laughs> that they could do. But Henry just Ooh. says he wants to go see a game. He wants to go see a match. And the only match that's in town happens to be a West Ham match. Mm-hmm. So. When they get there, uh, Henry is just screaming his little head off, trying to get Nate's attention. And Nate barely acknowledges him in the crowd. Um, And then we do get that little scene with Keely and Jack playing mini golf. Jack calls Keely a friend to Mm. her old uni friend, Alyssa. Um, And then we get back to the end of the match because it's a very brief scene that Ted, Beard, and Henry are at the West Ham match. And this is where Rupert texts Nate that it's okay. Ted will never be allowed there again. Nate starts to say that it's no big deal. And he actually thought it was funny. But then he deletes that text to Rupert and just says, good, thanks. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a, that's a few scenes. I know we went through a little bit quickly there, but we're about to get to um, a pretty important scene. scene. So I wanted to. My favorite scene of the whole season so far. I'm not going to lie to you guys. The the next one coming up. Um, But a few things here. Uh, Keely's outfit is most definitely 
the play on Pretty Woman. It's almost exactly the dress that Julia Roberts wears to the polo match in Pretty Woman. Um, so very, very interesting dichotomy there of, you know, rich person with, you know, sort of shamed persona next to them. Uh, one, you would say, is less caring about that, and one is uh, sort of caring about that. But you're right, the cracks are starting to get really bigger, especially when she introduces her as her friend and then completely blows it off after the friend leaves. She's just like, okay, let's keep going here. And it's just like, okay, you see where this is going. Um, and yeah, the West Ham stuff is great because I kind of described Nate's face here as shocked, but happy, you know, like, especially because I don't know, like Craig, in my mind, I think that Henry wanted, Henry might've known that there was only a West Ham game like going on today. Um, because I, get <laughs> I don't the know sense, that he knew that. I don't but know, I but I get this, I get the sense that Nate. he really, really just wanted to see Nate. You know, he was yeah, asking about Nate at the beginning of the season. He's asking about all this stuff. And I think he knows instinctively that Nate is still on his father's mind as well. And so I think he's trying to sort of parrot trap this type of thing together here. Like, and, and so I think he might have known maybe a little bit that there was a West Ham game and that's the one he wanted to go to to try and like kind of spur something along here. And it certainly seems like it awakened something in Nate to see them there and just to see them, you know, waving and not like having an agenda just saying hi, you know? I would agree with you that I, I don't know – that he knew uh, enough about the Premier League schedule to know that uh, West Ham would be in uh, around that day. But I will say that I think it's very uh, clear that he is a Nate fan. And I mean, even like Ted going as far as buying the kit for the yeah. uh, match. And, you know, they got some pretty good seats with that Premier League money that Ted's getting paid. He makes, right? he makes at least six figures, guys. I mean, if the, if the pay scale is anything I mean, close, at least. <laughs> if yeah. anything is close to what managers get paid in the Premier League, he's got to be making at least six figures. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So it just uh, it, I thought it was a really interesting scene. It's a scene we've been thinking about for a long time. Some people even thought it was a dream. I think that we talked about that as a theory not too long ago as well. So it's uh, interesting to see it all play out right here. It's kind of a brief scene, but it just continues to bring Nate back. And I think it's interesting that he does try to push back on Rupert and then uh -huh. decides that he's not going to because that does seem like the final hurdle to bringing Nate back. And Darth I wonder Vader, man. what we're going to get. Darth Vader, you got to throw the Emperor over the railing. Something's got to happen here. Not literally, Nate. Don't kill Rupert. Maybe. I don't know. But <laughs> let's that get to my... That would be quite the turn for Ted Lasso, let's get, for sure. Let's get to my favorite scene of the season so far yeah all right let's do this um the hey jude scene uh yeah. so may makes a joke that she's not going to serve henry because he's in his west ham <laughs> kit giant glass then, of uh, milk too <laughs> glass of milk but he she ultimately um blames beard and ted and says that they are on probation yeah. because they let him wear a west ham kit Rebecca texts Ted and said that she has an update and that Ted walks away again from Henry mm -hmm. and goes to call. Rebecca and Ted talk about Paris uh, and Henry is asked by Beard if he likes the Beatles because there's an artist that's playing Hey Jude and uh, why he likes the Beatles. Mm. And he says because his dad does. Ugh. Beard explains that the song Hey Jude um, was written uh, by well he doesn't go into as much detail here but it's written by paul mccartney basically for john lennon's son after uh john uh left his wife for yoko ono mm -hmm. and um beard talks about uh henry's parents 
and basically says things like that they're they're going to get through this and that they they love him and um that he can take a sad song and make it better <laughs> as well uh ted is asked by rebecca if she ever took him to paris and ted said that she he thought that he would have more time with her mm-hmm. and that's where we get our episode title from we'll never have paris uh rebecca says that who cares if they end up engaged <laughs> more in colorful most- way but yes um, but that's basically it <laughs> She yeah. said she says and, that in a little uh, more colorful manner. <laughs> yes, yes, she does. And then um he said she says that while his relationship with Michelle is now over, his relationship with Henry is ongoing. Mm. So he needs to focus on that and go sing Hey Jude with his son. And so then Ted goes back and joins. Um and so here's where things are at. Okay, so I have done my best to not talk about Mm -hmm. what's going on in my life um, too much on this show, but it's hard for me to not take this scene and be able to comment on um, kind of my current situation. Um, At the moment I'm getting ready to, to move into a new house. Uh, Actually the the next time that you hear this podcast, I'll be in a new home and it, my life is good right now. Uh, My life is good. And I have overcome uh, a lot of uh, struggles. Uh, Ted Lasso has actually helped, um, especially with moving through um, proceedings and and everything. Uh, but but when it comes to a divorce, you're you're thinking about the the most important thing in that is your child, mm-hmm. and it's almost like this scene hit this week for me in a way that was like. Because if there's anything that I could do right now, it would be to try to jump into his brain and just see what he's thinking and what he has going on. And here is uh, Ted's best friend basically sitting his son down and saying that you can take a sad song and you can make it better. You can you can uh, brighten this, that your future is going to be happy. And um, man, it just hit in a way that uh, I immediately felt emotional about. And, um, yeah, man, it just, uh, even watching it back again, uh, it's a, it's a scene that it's hard to not feel so personally invested in and the acting that Brendan does, I mean, is incredible. Um, and I, I, I commented that Ted seems so far removed from Henry because I think in this uh, episode, he kind of loses sight of really what's important and it, it takes Rebecca to tell him, go and sing with your son. That's what matters. Don't worry about your ex-wife. Go and sing with your son. That's what matters. So anyway, man, that was a lot uh, <laughs> to to watch. And uh, just honestly, thank you to the writers. Uh, you know, gosh, who knows who's listening out there, but um, this scene, it, it's what I needed. It's what I needed to hear because that's what keeps me up at night. That's what worries me is what's going on inside that little brain and um this this helped yeah yeah i mean i'd i'd be remiss if i said i wasn't thinking about you while i was watching this um you know i um yeah i i I won't speak for you but obviously i've been (laughs) worried about you and and, i'm thinking about you a lot over the past couple weeks and yeah the very first thing i thought when i saw this scene was like well craig's gonna need to talk a little bit about this um because it's kind of hit really close to home but i do love though 
there's this dichotomy too of like you know Beard telling the song the story of Paul McCartney writing this for John Lennon's son Jude, and that you know in this scene it is Ted's best friend or Ted's friend. He's basically the Paul um, of this scene, telling Henry Jude about how it's going to be okay. And you know the Beatles puns here are fantastic. Henry calls out the long and winding road. Um, you know Ted calls out yesterday. the song yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. You know so obviously they were having a little bit of wordplay fun there. But it is just one of those things that you're right. Like there is distance between Ted and Henry this whole episode. He's on the field while Ted's up in Rebecca's office. Ted's at his desk in the office while Will is helping him put all or he's helping Will put all the kids away. Um, You know, it it is a lot of distance there. And we do uh, call out like what this is uh, even episode. So what this is a Mel's. Melissa. uh, Yeah, this is Mel's episode. There are like in the midst of this conversation between Henry and Beard, she keeps putting these long shots of looking at Ted on the bench so far away from him. And that is deliberate. You're right. That is deliberate. Trying to say like, you know, you're missing this celebration because I love the Beard calls out. Oh, you know, the, you know, the best part of this song, boom, hits right at the bridge, which is, of course, the best part of the song, um, because it never doesn't get a ton of people singing, which they do. And that's kind of where, like, the release of this scene comes from. We are dealing with a lot of heavy emotions here, a lot of heavy emotions from a lot of different characters, not only just Ted and Henry, but Beard, too, having to sit there and feel like he can't do much for it and, you know, wanting to do more, but feeling like he can't, um, but gives that advice. And then we just get this cathartic release of singing that bridge to Hey Jude and the joy that that can exude. And it is kind of, you know, go and find any podcast that, like, breaks down that song because... That kind of is what it is. The song is meant to be a melancholy reminder that things will be okay, but then also a celebration of things can still be okay right now as well. Um, and so, just absolutely brilliant, Ted Lasso. I love you to the moon. I mean, just an and I just wanted scene. to, you know, put a button on this scene by saying that again. I I really try not to necessarily talk about my personal life uh, too much when we're going through the show. I mean, I've referenced it kind of vaguely uh, a couple of times this season, but it just uh, seems like one of the things that this show allows people to do is to be able to process grief in a way that mm-hmm. a lot of shows don't allow you to do. The The writers are so good at trying to talk about these huge themes and be able to kind of boil them down in a way that they, they approach it from a funny way or from a smart and creative way. And uh, it does allow for a lot of people to see themselves or to have some kind of experience that goes with it. And so I think that it would be uh, that I would have been remiss if I didn't at least um, talk about how much of an impact of the scene, this particular scene had on me as I watched it. But Let's go ahead and get back uh, to the episode. We've got a few more scenes to talk about about here. about to drop, man. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Jack has a toned down version of the statement the next time that we see her with Keely. Keely thought that uh, Jack would just take down the video when she said that she would take care of it. Jack explains that it's the internet and that she can't do that, but it does have it's a bad look for her and she actually uses the word porno uh, um, when describing it to keely um and so jack and keely continue to fight 
Jack really victim blames Keely for making the video. Uh, Keely rightfully says, I don't regret making the video and that she would do it again. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jack asks if there are more videos and Keely says that she doesn't know. Yeah. And then at that point is when they separate and they leave. Uh, that was a shorter scene and I, we've got a few more to get through, but I think that we should pause here because is this the last time that we've seen Jack or is she someone that comes back? She is still the venture capitalist investor in Keeley's firm. So um, clearly they're now if, if this relationship is over, which it seems like it is uh, because Keeley actually says, are you coming back? And Jack says that she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, there's still there's some awkwardness potentially here uh, when it comes to depending on how vindictive Jack could be, basically. But yeah. we saw this throughout the whole episode. We saw Jack being really embarrassed by Keeley. We saw her blaming uh, Keeley for this leak that clearly was not Keeley's fault. And so uh, honestly, man, at this point, like I'm ready to say good riddance to Jack, but I yeah. don't know wanted to say anything yeah i mean that's kind of the only thing left to determine about this isn't it is she going to stay invested in keely's firm um is she going to weather the pr storm that might come with this i mean luckily keely is a pr firm so maybe you can like work together a little bit um but yeah it's it's unfortunate and i do again i just love the slow roll of this throughout the episode you get the sense that jack wants to do the right thing but the capitalist, like the kind of heavy, like high influence, high minded society, like mindset just kind of gets in the way again. Like, it, you know, she wants to do the right thing, but she can't get past the scandal because the scandal is what, you know, that world kind of cares about most of the time. Um, and so it, it's unfortunate, but we do see what she really thinks there. And it's, you know, I think that the relationship is definitely done. We'll see. Um, I'd be fine if this is the last we see of Jack. I think the kind of circle is closed a bit. Yeah, I would agree there. We do get three final scenes here, pivotal scenes uh, in some relationships that we might see in the last four episodes. So Nate and Jade go first. Jade asks uh, if he's going to celebrate his win. And then basically Nate says he's got to move on to the next one. Mm. And then a great uh, line that will become a Tedism. I think Jade's first Tedism for me, mm -hmm. at least uh, a little bit later. But we see that Nate is actually looking at an article of Ted uh, being at the match. And so he's not thinking about the next match. He's absolutely thinking about Ted being at the previous match. So uh, <laughs> he kind of contradicts himself almost immediately. But Jade mentions that she loves Nate's smile. And then also calls him uh, her boyfriend. Mm. And that is putting kind of a pin on the discussion that we started this episode with as well. Um, the next scene that we get, a pretty pivotal scene. Jamie is at Keeley's house and he wanted to check in on her. He apologizes for the video leak. And then he talks about how he deleted all the videos and photos of her in waves and how he deleted some of them um, when they when they broke up. He deleted others out of anger when her and Roy started being together. But then ultimately, when uh, when she was able to or I'm sorry, ultimately, he deleted the rest of the uh, videos and photos when he found out that Roy and her were really serious. Mm -hmm. And so. He then mentions, though, that he forgot to delete emails mm -hmm. with the videos, which leads us to believe that the leak actually came from Jamie's emails. Uh, and so that must be how they were able to get the video. He says this really funny thing about the password <laughs> being password, but he thought he would trick him because he used two, two S's. S's. <laughs> uh, and then he says, though, that he's very sorry and they hug. And out of 
all the reactions we saw to now Rebecca clearly also gets that's the gold standard. That's the gold standard. I, I, I don't know. I think Jamie handles it better than Rebecca. Um, and I, I guess you could say that they're on the same level. There here. we go. There we but go. The fact that Jamie actually acknowledges that he believes this came from him and then goes that extra step to not only make sure that Keely is okay, but to explain that he thought he did the right thing by getting rid of these, but then now he's realized that he made a mistake and he's owning that mistake. Mm. And then he's still checking on her to make sure that she's okay. Talk about, and we've talked about it a bunch, but the growth in Jamie Tart this season is just insane. Uh, yep. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And it's, Again, Phil Dunster is just knocking it out of the park this season. The way he delivers the two S's line um, is just like, it's just peak Jamie. He's just so stupid, but so lovable. Um, and and yeah, it, it is like owning up to your mistakes because you want to remember, Craig, this is a callback all the way to the For the Children episode, which when, you know, she breaks up with Jamie there, what does she say as the reason? Accountability matters, Jamie. <laughs> And that's like the first thing he can't wrap his head around about why she's leaving him for that accountability matters. And now we see Jamie being accountable for one of his actions. It is an amazing amount of growth from one se season one to season three there. But um, and you're right, though, I said I wrote in my notes when it comes to Nate and Jade that, um, you know, she says I won't say the Tedism, but she says basically in reference to what what her line is, that it looks like they did. And it goes to the picture of Ted Henry and Beard. And this, and I wrote down here, this makes Nate, in parentheses, the real one, smile big. This is yes. the real Nate. This is the real Nate. He sees, like, because I think when he sees them the first time when he's on the pitch, he's like, what on earth is happening? What is this? What Like, what's going on here? I don't understand. And now Jade is giving him the context to see these are people who care about you, who just wanted to come and see you. You know, they just wanted to come and see you do your thing and be the coach and and and, the, and win. And it looks like they're happy that you won. Um, and it's just this amazingly cute moment between the two of them. But uh, there's some uh, drama at the end here, though, Craig. Absolutely. So, uh, again, I, I just want to also call out that not to say like pat myself on the back here, but we've been getting a lot of Jamie Tart with Keeley. And so this adds that extra wrinkle. If Jack is now out of the picture uh, when we're looking at like these relationships and how they might ultimately fall. <laughs> You know, uh, to put is... this in the save by the bell context, Jamie is the AC Slater and uh, we're going to call Jack the like uh, douchey, like uh, uh, like uh, sand club, uh, you know, manager that Kelly dates for like three episodes in that Malibu sand season. There you go, everyone. And Roy is still your Zach Morris. Roy right? is still Zach Morris, though not as awful of a human being as Zach Morris is. Everybody go watch the YouTube series. Zach Morris is trash. And um, that's all. That's all I've got. <laughs> OK, the last scene. We see Dr. Jacob out front uh, taking a bunch of selfies. He looks like such a tool here, to man. Leave. He looks like yeah, such a tool. Looks, he just looks so silly in this. Um, Michelle comes in and she's going to be leaving with Henry. Uh, Henry mentions that Ted is going to be buying Henry drums. And then uh, on the way out, Ted is handing Henry's bag to her and hands it to her in her left hand and then kind of holds it there so he can see that there is no ring on her finger so there was no proposal in paris and then on her way out the door she mentions the same exact thing that ted mentioned earlier that <laughs> dave Grohl learned to play the drums uh on pillows first 
Henry and Michelle then kind of blow off Dr. Jacob, mm-hmm. particularly Henry when he's getting into the car. And then Michelle kind of in an, uh, her own way sort of blows him off as well. Yeah. But she looks back at Ted up in the window and then waves. And then as Ted walks away from the window to end our uh, episode, he is looking quite perplexed at himself. Yeah. So. There's a lot here. This will certainly tie with that episode four ending where um, Michelle gives a little bit of a smile. Mm-hmm. I think people will start to speculate whether or not there is a budding relationship or rekindling of a relationship really here between the two of them. But what are your thoughts as we end this episode? Yeah, I put in here um, in my notes, like Ted waves from the window. It appears something has once again shifted, but he can't quite put his finger on it. And that's how I kind of feel as the viewer too. Like, Clearly something has happened here. Some dynamic has shifted. Some dynamic has changed. But I don't know if it's in the exact way that we think. You know, like it, if this is a reconciliation story, they're going to have to do a little bit more ground covering in these last four episodes. Um, but I don't know. It, it still feels like the story of Ted is not back to Michelle. It's back to Henry to me. And that's kind of what this episode accomplished. So I don't know. Maybe there is room to do a reconciliation with Michelle as well, because he definitely learned his lesson, I think, about his son in this episode. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's more to do there. But yeah, I'm I'm perplexed as ted and i'm wanting to see where this is gonna go i'm gonna reserve my judgment and let the let the road unfold before me absolutely the long and winding road the long and winding road yes (laughs) it's quite interesting the analogies at the beginning the back and forth between michelle and ted certainly there is a little bit of a spark of chemistry there at crown and anchor and then uh, we see this and you know it's undeniable that that look that they each give each other Mm -hmm. as well Man, I don't know where this show is going to take us in the last four episodes, but I think we're in for a ride. There is one last thing before Tedisms, and I'll just say this really quick because classic films and everything. We'll never have Paris. This is a play off of a line from, I think, the best movie ever made, Casablanca, where, of course, uh, the main character, Rick, tells his long-lost love, Elsa, will always have Paris in regard to a scene at the very end where he lets her leave, where he does an unselfish thing by Mm. giving her and her new love his plane ticket. And look, I know spoilers, but it's a 70-year-old movie, guys, okay? So, um, but it's one of those things where, you know, the whole point is about letting go. And, you know, like, kind of... Are you saying there's some 4D chess here where uh, if Rick is allowing Elsa to leave because they had Paris, that because Ted and Michelle Mm -hmm. never had Paris, he might not want her to leave so and they'll maybe end up together. The return is really to Ted so that they can have Paris. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting ways there. We'll do our like little midweek episode on maybe that connection with Brandon or something like that. So yeah, um, yeah. because like uh, I just think well, it's don't, an don't interesting promise connection. that unless we're really good at releasing well, it. And I'm just a lot saying of people it, have been asking for two episodes a week. There's and, no way that's uh, not moly, on purpose guys. that title. So I'm just saying like there's gotta be some kind of connection to Casablanca there. I'm gonna spend the rest of the week looking for it. All right. Sounds good. But now it's time to invite our third buddy uh, onto the show, Mr. Larry Smith. Tedisms. For each week, we share Biscuit's truth. Tedisms. Okay, Jer, uh, I'm hosting this thing, so you get the honor of going first with your first Tedism. Well, I mean, it's got to be the very first one that we hear, so when he's talking about Henry visiting, I'll take face-to-face time over FaceTime anytime. (laughs) 
I was hoping you were going to say that. That was absolutely my first <laughs> one as well. It's just classic vintage Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. play on words there for sure. Perfect. Um, my first, my second one was uh, from May. She said, "Nothing's impossible." Nothing is impossible Mm-mm. in that same scene. So I liked that a lot too. I, I also in this scene, I just called out when you know he's going on his multiple Parises. He when she says, "You know, Paris, Paris," and he goes, "Ah, oh, the default Paris." <laughs> Of course, yeah. the default Paris, man. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, and then uh, going a little bit later when Will and Henry are interacting and doing their calisthenics, this is a three-person Tedism. Roy says, is this a game or child labor? And then Trent says, in this day's capitalism, what's the difference? And then Beer just goes, word. <laughs> I just love that they are like ingratiating Trent Krim into this like partnership. This bromance that they're, they were, uh, their bromates are side podcast all about Beard and Roy there and their budding, uh, romance as well. Absolutely. But Trent is definitely coming in as a third wheel there. And in that same scene, of course, uh, Trent says, you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And of course, I'm sure you wrote down what Leslie said says as the follow-up to this if anything you should find out before you flip out (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts there's the t-shirt and i love that you pitched that to me and you knew that it was going to be in there Uh so uh, clearly guys (laughs) talk about some chemistry jeremy and Mm. i through chemistry here guys right there Uh, right there the next one that the next one that I had was actually from Rebecca, and she says, oh, please, the Eiffel Tower is just a lamppost with a publicist. <laughs> Again, Patrick, the T-shirts are just flowing your way here, man. Just a picture of the Eiffel Tower with that quote on it, which is hilarious. Um, well, I'm going to do the uh, parental warning here, guy, one, because obviously all musical theater references we have to call out. And I don't even know who said it, but they say, fuck yeah, 24601. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love that. And then I do have to talk uh, briefly. I don't know if I support this Tedism because I'm an old man who still uses Facebook as my primary means (laughs) of social media. But from Barbara, Jack thought you could post it across your socials, but maybe not Facebook because that's just for grandparents and racists now, isn't it? (laughs) It's an easy joke to make in today's day and age. But hey, if you want some positivity on Facebook, guys, go find the Peanut Butter and Biscuits group because it is a lot of fun positivity. Um, My next one, of course, when uh, Rebecca asks her if there's anything she can do, she says, restructure society so women aren't consistently sexualized while simultaneously being crucified for being sexual. Kaboom. What a mic drop moment, right? I mean... Wow. Like nothing, it, nothing to say there. It's a perfect statement. <laughs> you could, yeah, you could do, you could do an entire series of podcasts on that one statement. Right. I mean, yep. it is, it is so unfair in this society that, you know, and I mean, like we could talk about the fact that like it, it's been a patriarchy for a long time and that women <laughs> have been history. subjected to a lot. Like, yeah. I mean, but like that, that line encapsulates a lot of the woes of society in in one line, right? Yeah, I mean, it has everything to do with the the leaks and everything. Most of society can be boiled down to probably this one problem here, (laughs) if if we're being honest, because it gets into religion, it gets into societal norms. It's a a loaded line. I'm very happy that they put it in there. I love when Ted's talking about Henry and he just says, he don't care. Just a little boy ambivalent is all heck. Okay. <laughs> ambivalent is all heck, which is again, so true. Um, I've only got two more. One's Keely and one's Rebecca. When, what, how many do you have? 
Ooh, I've got like four more and I've got a beard one in here. Right. Um, and this is from the Hey Jude scene. And he says, I know right now it feels like you're in a sad song, but you, Henry, you have the power to take a sad song and make it better. Mm. That is some yeah, good and that, stuff. That's there. okay. Okay, guys. That's when Craig starts crying. Yeah. I mean, I was, I wasn't crying before that. Um, certainly that line and the way that Brendan delivers it. Mm. Holy holy i yep. i usually say holy moly but holy shit yeah that line um really got to me yeah i got a funny one from keely where she was talking about being on a horse she says the last time i was on a horse the horse was so drugged up it could have played in the sex pistols that's just a fun that's just a fun little line there. that is just a fun one <laughs> i had another one from rebecca in the um hey jude scene yeah and that's my final one. Oh, okay so I'll, I'll save that one for you then uh, I've got a couple of other ones. I got Jade saying that you should enjoy your victories mm -hmm. to Nate because I think that that is uh, paramount to his redemption arc and him understanding who he is and that he does need to enjoy himself and enjoy his victories. Yep. And then I also got one from Ted that just says the city of all rights. Yeah, that's what it's known for, the city of all rights. But the reason I wanted to save Rebecca's is because I think it's kind of like the paramount thesis of this episode, which is, of course... Don't let yesterday get in the way of today. Yep. You need to stop letting yesterday get in the way of today, Ted. Mm -hmm. Holy moly. And then Ooh. I guess another Rebecca one that you said earlier that we could really lend, uh, uh, end on as well. I've got you. Uh, uh, I mean, holy moly. Those, this, those two guys. Uh, those are the two. <laughs> Oh, this show. Um, we have four episodes left, Jeremy. What are we even going to do? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Wait for some spinoffs, I hope. <laughs> According to Jason recently, he left the door open for some spinoffs. Um, but yeah, this it, I think it's crescendoing to a good place here. Um, the team is finally starting to gel. We don't need to see that because we need to see the relationships and stuff. But I think at least two of these last four episodes need to be kind of a big match uh, type of thing. I think we need one more game with West Ham maybe um, to kind of establish who's going to play for the, for the overall cup. And then, I mean, this has to end with Richmond versus Man City for the, for the premier league championship. I mean, it has to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've got a lot uh, left here in the last four ish hours, four uh, weeks, guys. whatever these run times are going to end up being, but I am excited to see where it goes from here. And you know that we'll continue to cover it. So follow along with us on PVB FRN on Twitter, also peanut butter biscuit time on Instagram, but because I am neither a grandparent or a racist, <laughs> I will ask you Barbara to please still join our Facebook page, peanut butter and biscuits. Cause it's uh, at least 700 members strong and everybody is just so positive in there and just posting um, kind of about the show, but also about life. And mm. it's just so affirming to be in that group and just thank you again to the listeners for your continued support you know i uh i i, I let you in uh, a little bit on my life uh, this episode and i only feel comfortable doing that because of you as listeners and so i really do appreciate that and i appreciate the continued support but jeremy any final thoughts before we get out of here just in the words of our favorite coach everyone to all of you listeners all of you have made this so much fun mercy buckets Mercy Buckets. All right, so for Peanut Butter and Biscuits, I am Craig. I'm Jeremy. And as always, be, be a goldfish. goldfish.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.